Have you ever heard of a strong Christian whose fire went out? Or even worse, a once believer who fell away completely? Kind of like Judas, who dwelt with Jesus, ate with him, slept with him, arose in the morning to walk through the streets of Jerusalem with him, yet betrayed him. How is it possible that we can be following and walking hand in hand so close with Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah? How is it possible that Jesus, Judas did that, yet betrayed him in the great betrayal at the Last Supper? How is it? And you see, the mere fact that it is possible for us to betray our Messiah in the way that a man like Judas did calls for examination. It calls for us to periodically come and examine ourselves to see whether we are truly in the faith or whether we were like Judas, who was there for the appearance of things. He seemed to be one of the great 12. He seemed to have this close relationship with God to everyone from outside. He seemed to be as one who would one day sit on his throne and judge the 12 tribes, as Yeshua said they would one day do. Yet Judas threw it all away. He came and he declared that he chooses this world and the pleasures that this world offers above an intimate relationship with his Messiah. You see, we, when we get married, if we enter a covenant with a bride or a bridegroom, we are making a commitment and we are saying that we commit to loving them the rest of our lives. And the same kind of covenant is that which Jesus, Yeshua, comes to make with us when we come to say we will follow him. A covenant that he says, I come and he makes an example and he says, I come and I lay down my life for you. And he did. He he got on a cross and he died for his bride. But then what he does is he calls his bride to come and die to herself. Uh, who will also not only say, yes, thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for everything you did for me, Yeshua. But a bride who will say, you have done this. Therefore, I will do the same. A bride who will come and now lay her life down for the sake of her bridegroom's kingdom as well. And so it is important for us as the bride, if you will, of Christ, to continuously assess ourselves as to whether we do love him continuously, as to whether we are putting our life down continuously, and as to whether we are fulfilling our roles as the bride of a husband who is the king of this great kingdom we are entering. You see, he is coming back for a bride who is equally yoked, not one who lost her way along the way. It is not enough to just one day pray a prayer and say, Jesus, come into my heart and then fall away. We need to have him continually on our minds and our hearts and in our actions. And so pass over the very feast we're going to be talking about today is all about a covenant. 
It is all about an examination that God calls us to every single year to make sure that we are not as Judas who didn't even in the midst of things realize the wickedness of his heart because he thought that he was doing some kind of a he was deceiving himself into thinking that he's doing some kind of a good thing by actually doing deals with the Pharisee, the religious leaders of the day. No, because you see, he, even though he dwelled with his Messiah, even to the brink of having the Passover meal with him, he was still deceived into thinking that he'll come out or right out of this deal while he actually was the one who faced the greatest judgment. Let's examine ourselves as to see where we stand today. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter whether it's been a day or 20 or 50 years, God has commanded the Passover festival to be kept every year of our lives for a reason. In Exodus 13, verse 9, God comes and he gives us an important instruction regarding how we are to keep this feast. And he says the following, that it shall be a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand has the Lord brought you out of Egypt. God says that this law is to be on your hand as well as between your eyes. And really what he means by that is that this is a feast and this is a commandment that is to be kept not only in the physical actions as in what we do as in a religious observance of some sort, but also it should be something we keep in what we think our mind. You see, it is not enough to simply keep the Passover feast physically only as in the keeping of some kind of a day set apart of a, or a week or, or doing some observance physically. While that is imp- important, if we only do it physically, but we don't do it intellectually and with our mind and our heart, we will simply be doing religious works without having the works accomplish what it's supposed to do. Because these works, these physical observances are only there to trigger our mind to think on it, to trigger our heart to be examined, to ensure that there is a change in our hardware needed. But see, on the, on the other hand, we also don't want to just say we will be have a mere we will have a mere intellectual ascension about this feast where we will think on this feast. We will have left our heart up to God, but we will not do what God has told us to do and how to keep this feast. My point is simply that we are to make sure that we, we follow God where he said here in verse nine that we have to make sure this law is on our hands and what we do and on our minds what we think. And one of the first things that he says that we are to do is he talks about this feast of unleavened bread. And he says, seven days you eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day is a festival to Yahweh. Unleavened bread is to be eaten the seven days. And whatever is leavened is not to be seen with you. And leaven is not to be seen with you within all your border. And you shall inform your son in that day, saying, It is because of what Yahweh did for me when I came up from Egypt. 
God commands us to ensure that our homes are cleansed from leaven for seven days during this festival of unleavened bread. The festival of unleavened bread is connected to the feast of Passover. Passover starts and it falls on the day and then the following seven days is the feast feast of unleavened bread where it is seven days that is a cleansing of leaven from the home. This leaven is simply what puffs up bread and it really represents sin. Passover was the time where Yeshua was um, sacrificed for us. Jesus was put on the cross and then following by putting him in the grave on unleavened bread. At the same time, while he now cleanses us from sin, we are to not eat any leaven in our homes, like no bread that contains leaven, as a reminder that we are to remove the sin from our midst, that we are to remove the leaven from our midst. That's why Jesus talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, because he was speaking to an audience who understood the festivals of God, as we ought to know, because they understood that leaven represents sin. He's really saying the sin of the Pharisees. So it's important for us to cleanse our physical homes from all leaven, from top to bottom. And you could really make this an, a fun thing where you take, if you have children, let them search for all the leaven in the house and make sure that every single bit of leaven is cleansed out from the house and you throw it out. What we do then is we also need to make sure, like I said, not only physically, but we also want to think on what we're doing. So we want to make sure that the leaven is also cleansed from our spiritual homes. In other words, we want to make sure that our temples, because this is a house, this is a vessel, this is where the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh wants to live, our temples, we need to make sure that it is cleansed from leaven itself. It has no sin itself. We don't, we're not hiding sin in our hearts. We're, there's not some secret sin we're still holding on to. We need to make sure that we, we don't have fear or selfish ambition, stress, worry. We're not living in these things, these bondages, because God did not call you to follow his son, Yeshua, and be like him and remove you from Egypt. Like he called Israel out of Egypt. He didn't do all that just to, so you can be back in Egypt, back in slavery by your um, unbelief, by your fear, by your worry, by your stress and all of these things, which is leaven in the heart and even think, especially pride, a leaven in the, in the heart, a puffed upness. You see, this is really a time where we have this privilege every single year to take a pause and stop for a second. Don't just do this religiously. Don't do just the physical stuff, but stop and look and think, what does my heart really look like? Am I, have I cleansed my heart from the leaven within? And you need to ask God, God, is there leaven in my heart? Show me where it is so I can be made more like my Messiah. Because like I said in the beginning of this video, he's coming back for a bride equally yoked. He's coming back for one who is going to look like him. One who is going to make sure she is clean, who's got her oil trimmed. And God says that when our children ask us, what is this day about? We are to remind him that this was the day that God delivered us from the slavery of Egypt. Now, this 
points to two instances. Of course, the first instance where Israel was physically saved through the crossing of the Red Sea from Pharaoh and through the plagues and all that. And God brought them to the promised land after that whole journey. That is the first freedom from slavery we are to celebrate. But there is this freedom from slavery is physical. It's simply it was a there was a temporary inheritance that the Israelites inherited this physical promised land. Right. But then God did something new. You see, when he brought his son, Yeshua and, and Yeshua, Jesus came to die for us. He again set us free from slavery. But this time, not only a physical slavery in terms of freedom from our ailments and by bringing us healing, but also a slavery that is that is uh, a spiritual slavery. He brought freedom from that, where we are now free from bondage in the heart, free from, like I mentioned, fear, worry and all these things. These things are not supposed to have that's not supposed to have a hold on us anymore. And so and then with that, Yeshua brought an eternal inheritance. You see what, what we call today salvation. And so when we think on this feast of Passover, it's really supposed to be a reminder and a memorial of this salvational gift that God has given us through his son, Yeshua, this incredible gift that we have. You see, it's oftentimes easy to take it for granted. It's easy to go day to day, go to church on a Sunday or whenever you want to go to church, do whatever you go, go, go on with your life. But you never think on the actual thing of what he did for you. And so this is a time to really think on that. And speaking of a gift, when God called Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness and he saved them from the hands of Pharaoh through by then going through this Red Sea and escaping the plagues and all this. We, we see this amazing promise that starts being fulfilled. And he, God tells him that when you come into this wilderness, when you are free from Pharaoh, I need you to start doing something for me. And God asks of them to give back to him. You see, it's not just about taking, 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 taking or something we love to do. No, but God actually says, I need you to do something for me now. I have come. I've split the sea for you. I have brought plagues upon your enemies. I have saved you out of the bondage you have been in for hundreds of years. And now I ask of you to give back. And what he says is, just like I said, you saved your firstborn from the plagues that befell the firstborn of the Egyptians. So now I want you to give your firstborns to me. In other words, he's asking them to make a a, a heart sacrifice, like almost like Isaac was sacrificed on the altar, like Abraham came with Isaac and he said, Lord, I give you my son. God asked of, asked of him his son and, and Abraham came and said, I will, I am willing to give you my son. And he put his, put his heart on that altar with his son and he, and God stopped him at the last moment because God was testing his heart. God wanted to see whether he truly had a spiritual change of heart, whether he truly was sold out in his heart for God, even willing to give his own son to God. 
In the same way, God expects the same here of Israel with their firstborn children. He's expecting them. God saved their firstborn. And now God says, now I want you to give them back. And it's the same principle, which we can really apply to all our lives. I want you to think for a moment on what there was in your life that God has restored to you, that God has saved, where God, where God has brought freedom, where God has, has brought whatever, you know, he, where God has provided. In whichever way that God has provided for you, whether it was a house, whether it was a child, whether whatever it was, God says, I gave that for you so that you can give it for the kingdom. You see, it's all about everything in our lives is supposed to be a sacrifice unto his kingdom. Has God saved you from defaulting on loans? Give him your finances. Has God saved your marriage? Give him your marriage and let it give his kingdom glory. Has God saved your life? Give him your life. Whatever we do, we ought to do it unto God. You see, why was it that God said in Exodus 13 that he wants the firstborn? You see, the firstborn is usually the one that parents, um, it's their first child. There's a special thing about a firstborn. It's a special thing about having a first child. And that child has usually got a special place in the hearts of their parents. And God says, I want that. You see, God gave the firstborn to them. But God wants us to give them back to God for God to have. And it really simply means to give God control, to tell God that, Lord, you can do with my child whatever you want. You can take my child to this or that place, send him to this or that place. You can do with my child as you like, and I will glorify and praise you. You see, brothers and sisters, this means this is a heavy saying because it means, God, you can even take my child away. And I will glorify you for that. You see, God was the one who gave you a firstborn child. God was the one who gave you a house. God was the one who gave you that car and that job and everything that you have. God is the one who, oh, by the way gave you salvation. Yeshua came to give salvation. What what God told the Israelites in the wilderness was nothing compared to what he wants today. Because back then, he merely saved them from physical things up to that point, right? He saved them from the physical hands of the Egyptians, from those chariots, from the plagues, from all these things. But now God has done something greater in our lives. He has saved us from eternal separation from him. He has saved us from eternal destruction because that's where where our sin lives. And he's given us an eternal inheritance instead of just a temporary one. How much more do we owe him everything? How much more do we owe him all our children, all our finances, all our breaths, everything we own? We owe to Father. And see, this simply means, this is an exciting thing because it means that we come to Him and we say, Father, 
whatever you want with everything of me and everything I have and everything that is mine. Have your way. And see, Passover is a time of rededication of this. It's a time where we make sure that we have truly given everything up on that altar like Abraham did with Isaac. And say, God, what do you want? What else do you want me to put on this altar? What do you want me to put this, that, that? What what, what else am I missing? What if what have I not given to you? And then give it to the Father. Because when he is in control, that's the best place to be. It's the safest place you can be. Because see, brothers and sisters, here's the catch. You know, it's it's easy to think that if we hold on to something, we can easily deceive or deceive ourselves into thinking that. If we hold on to something, we can protect it. We can have control. We can have this. You know, this is mine. God, you can have everything else, but this little thing is mine. And if you think, I want you to think, is there anything in your life like that? A space in your heart, a space in your life, a possession physically or spiritually that you don't want God to come into. Maybe something that happened a long time ago, a traumatic event. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a a physical um, it's something that you own. Maybe it's a child. Whatever it is, you need to give it to the Father. Because you see, brothers and sisters, the, one, the things that we tend to want to hold on to most and not give to God are the very things we set ourselves up for losing. Because the safest place for things to be is in His hands. Because if you try and you tell God, God, you can have everything, but don't take my, don't touch my finances. God, I, I want my money. I want to manage my money. You're not going to tell me how to do that. But you want, you, God, you can take anything else, but this is mine. Guess what's going to happen? You will lose your riches very soon. Because you see, brothers and sisters, in reality, you are the worst manager of your money. You are the worst one to take care of anything that you own. We tend to just break things. We tend to corrupt things and cause death and evil to follow us when we try and take control. But see, when you say, Father, I desire to let you take everything that I have. And Lord, I don't want control. Because if I have control, things will go wrong. And see, brother, sister, when you say that to the Father, He will come. And He knows your desires. He knows your love for this thing you're giving Him. And guess what? He loves it more than what you love it because of your love for it. Because He loves you more than you can ever understand. And so with that, He is the most qualified person, more qualified than yourself to take care of anything that you have. And so this is a time in Passover to ask the Father to think on what Yeshua did. He came and He laid His life down for you. He gave everything for you. He died for you. What greater love is there for a man to lay down his life for another? And what greater thing there is for God, the creator of the universe, to come and lay down His life for you? You owe the same back. And see, with this, we can't look back on our past. We can't look back on on our previous life. We can't look back on the things we had control over in the past before we came to Christ. 
You see, it's interesting, you know, you may have wondered why unleavened bread? Why God used this analogy of unleavened bread? Why is it? Why are we supposed to cleanse our homes from unleavened bread? Well, you see, it really comes from when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. They did so in haste. God told them to get out of there, go leave just as Pharaoh was 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 uh, driving them out and gone. And they didn't even have time for their bread to leaven up. So they had to take their bread that was unleavened and take it with them out of Egypt overnight, very quickly as they fled. But see, this is a picture of how we are supposed when we leave that place of slavery of the world, our Egypt, our bondage, when we decide, Father, we choose you, Lord, we want your salvation. We don't want this bondage anymore. God calls us to not look back to it. And he calls us to leave in haste. You can't try and wait a little bit more in Egypt for your leaven cakes to leaven up so they can be nice and it tastes better and whatever. And then leave. That's you know, what that is, is really it's holding on to old sins. Because like I said, leaven represents sin. You don't want to sit on your sins. Let them brew. Let them still have a place in your life. Even while you're kind of holding on to this new covenant that you want to enter with your Messiah. You see, you can't have that. God is coming back for bride, like I said, equally yoked. That means you can't have any leaven in your house when he knocks on the door this Passover. You see. Because if he knocks on your door this Passover and your house has still got a bit of leaven hidden in the cupboard, you're not a bride equally yoked. You're not a bride who has prepared herself. Brothers what I mean by that is our houses, our hearts need to be cleansed. We need to make sure that there is not some cupboard in our heart where we have hidden some sin, some leaven. Some something that we didn't want anyone else to see or get to some secret. Everything will be exposed on the great day of the Lord. Nothing will be hidden. You can hide things now, but it will be exposed. And so I call you and I ask you, was it like that for you? Maybe when you left your Egypt way back when you came to Christ, maybe you were not in as big of a hurry as you ought to have been. God has called you to be in a massive hurry when you left. He told you, get out of this world. It is time. The time is up. You are now called to be a bride. And so when he did that, that was the first call when he called you out and to follow him. And that's when you kind of said yes to Yeshua. So when you said that, were you leaving Egypt in haste like the Israelites did? Leaving quickly, no time, no delay, no waiting for these, for the bread to leaven. You just left with your unleavened bread or did you wait? Did you hold on to some things and then try and carry those sins into the wilderness? Because brothers and sisters, get this. You can get your sin, your leaven into the wilderness. You can sneak it in, but you will die in that wilderness because you will seek the leaven of Egypt. You will continue to desire and want that what you had in Egypt. And you will never be satisfied with the manna from heaven that God will give you. And I want to submit to you like that manna from heaven will be like unleavened bread. It will not be as tasty as the leaven from Egypt. Not as tasty as that sin we always chewed on. But it will be holy. It will be pure. Because that manna from heaven is Yeshua himself. 
And that is really what this is coming down to. On one hand, we can choose the leaven, the sin, or we choose Yeshua. There's no in between. There's no middle ground. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin causes it all to become leavened. But if you have Yeshua, you see, he is the one who was no sin, who had no sin. He is unleavened bread. And so God, we have today the choice. Will we eat of him or will we still partake in the world? It's not enough, brother and sister, to just have a Christian label on your Facebook profile. It's not enough to pray a prayer before you eat every day. What happens truly in the cupboards of your heart where no one else can come except you and God himself? God calls us to be a bride that is not born and tossed by the wind, but one that is rather confident in who she is and stable. One who's got her eyes fixed on him. And in Luke 22, we read about the Last Supper. And here God shows us a picture of this covenant. This is what we call the new covenant that he is making with this bride. And there are important lessons at the Last Supper and of, of course, connections to Passover that we must see. In Luke 22, verse 8, we read, He sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us to eat. And they said to him, Where do you wish us to prepare? And he said to them, See, as you enter into the city, a man shall meet you carrying a jar of water. Follow him into the house he enters. Now, as with all of Scripture, when God mentions a detail, it is always important, even when it looks mundane and kind of random. You see, the first thing he says is he tells the disciples to look for a man carrying a jar of water. And that's the one you follow. And when you follow that man, you will find the place where you to, we are to prepare the Passover. Now, what is up with this man carrying the jar of water? I want to submit to you that God is hinting at something very great, a pattern that has been used all throughout Scripture that he wants us to see. And he's using this as a, like a red alert, like a red flag, like you need to pay attention to what is about to happen at this last supper, this feast. And see, when we think about this man carrying a drawer of water and we think about Scripture in general from Genesis to Revelation, there's a thing with jars of water that is happening and occurring. Now, one of the first instances that comes to mind is the story of Eliezer, who goes to find a bride for his master, Isaac. And Eliezer ends up at this well. And we have find Rebecca. He finds Rebecca there who waters his camels with these jars of water. And of course, soon thereafter, we find how Eliezer uh, picks her and takes her back to Isaac, and they make a covenant. Just like Yeshua told his disciples that the sign for the place to go, for this place of covenant, if you will, to be, is you find a guy with water. The same as said, Isaac tells God, Show me the one who has the jar of water. And that was the one that God showed. That was Rebecca. Furthermore, we have another example 
with Yeshua and the wedding where when he was young, he was at this wedding with his mother and he told his servants to fill the jars with water. And of course, and then he turned it into wine. But the incredible thing is this is another connection to a covenant. There was a he was at a wedding. There was a bride and a bridegroom at that wedding. And there was a covenant being made. Next, we have Moses, who also visited a well and chased away the shepherds from the well of water, rescuing Zipporah and then shortly thereafter marrying her, making a covenant. Then we also have Israel that walks through the Red Sea and after they get to the at the end of the Red Sea, when the sea splits and when they come through there, after that, we have God meeting with them and giving them the covenant, the first covenant on Mount Sinai, making a covenant with Israel. And we see again this element of water. And then lastly, we also have how God flooded the entire earth with water. And thereafter, when Noah was saved, him and his family, God came and he made a covenant with Noah, saying that God, he says, I will never flood the earth like he did in that instance. But so see, bringing this all back, you have all these instances of water and jars and cov covenants. In other words, whether it is a marriage covenant or whether it's a covenant between God and his people, it comes down to covenant. And now yet again, at the Passover meal with his disciples, there is this man with a jar of water. It's God's signal to say, pay attention because there's a covenant about to be made. And really, when we think about it, of course, the covenant was made um, sh very shortly thereafter with Yeshua being um, hung on the cross. And then we also can enter into that covenant. We can personally, as individuals, partake in the crucifixion account by entering through baptism, where we enter the water. And when we come up out of the water, we are a new creation that has entered covenant with him. And if you want to know more about baptism, please watch my baptism series on YouTube for more on that. But see, this covenant at Passover is not just any covenant. It's not just another one of these on another list, another another bullet point. It's so much more because this is the one that all the covenants point to. It's the one that all of them are about. It is the whole point of every other one, everyone, all the others I was mentioning. Those are simply precursors and ones that are simply their little stories there to point to the greatest covenant that God will ever make with his bride. You see, God made a covenant at Mount Sinai, one that was broken, one that the sinful people, because they were broken people, they broke the covenant, not because the covenant was faulty, but because the people were and the people broke this covenant continually, continually, continually. And they were in the end divorced from God. And then what happened is God comes and he has to come and die for his bride so that she may enter back into covenant with him. And so at Passover, what we're really doing is we are celebrating the greatest covenant God has ever made. We are celebrating the covenants of all covenants. We are celebrating the covenant that holds every marriage together. 
every marriage covenant like Rebecca and her um, husband Isaac, their covenant was held together by God. The covenant of that couple at the wedding where Yeshua was when he was a young man was a covenant held together by God. The covenant that was made between Noah and God, of course, held together by God. And ultimately, really, if we had never had this new covenant made by God, all other covenants would just fall apart. And it would absolutely mean would really mean not much because God is the one who gives life to all things, all covenants. He, he gives us the possibility to even have a marriage, for example, that is lasting and fruitful without God. None of this would prosper. There would be death all around. And if he never came to get his divorce bride back, we would all only face one thing, and that is death. And so that is why this covenant is different. Without this covenant, there is no other covenant worth speaking about. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to pause and realize that if it was not for this event that happened at Passover, we would have no purpose in life. In fact, we would be nothing but dust. Uh, which just appears for a little while and withers away forever. But God has come and he has said, I see a value in you. I see something in you worth dying for. And he did. He came and he died for his bride. That means he saw her as pretty important and valuable. He saw that he made her and she he made her with a purpose. And that purpose was not just to be dust. See, brothers and sisters, you may have come from dust, but you can do much more than dust because of the one that is in you. And so God has made a covenant that enables us to actually do and accomplish what we were made to do in our lives. That is to build his kingdom. And so don't and when you enter, when you understand what, who, who you are, that you're a son of God. Part of keeping Passover is actually walking in your design purpose, understanding your calling and lifting up, like I mentioned earlier, giving everything up to God and saying, Lord, whatever you want, you need to do and you whatever you want to take control of, you need to do it in my life. Because that is worship to God that is pleasing. And of course, this covenant is so different because he has written it on our heart. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, we read, For this is the covenant I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I shall put my law, my Torah, in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. And I shall be their God and they shall be my people. Like I mentioned earlier, we need to ensure that we are not like Judas, who simply followed Yeshua physically, who simply physically was there at the Last Supper, who simply physically walked with Yeshua through the streets, who physically was present. But see, while he was a religious man and he had religious appearances and works, his heart was wicked and far from God. What we read in Jeremiah never happened in the heart of Judas. It happened in the heart of Peter. It happened in the heart of John. It happened in all the disciples' hearts, but it never happened in the heart of Judas. And it wasn't because Judas had no choice. Judas had every choice. 
we read about how Satan entered Judas. And it may seem on the surface that Judas almost, it was just, it just kind of happened. Oh, Satan. No, Satan could enter Judas because Judas's heart was ready for Satan and far from God. You see, there's just two kingdoms in this world. You're either going to have a heart that is sold out to God, given to God, that is where you have said, God, you have my heart, you have everything that I am, take it. Or you have a heart that you're still holding on to. A heart that you have not allowed God to write his law on. A heart that is hard. A heart that is prideful. You see, a heart that desires the things of this world over the things of God. A heart that desires to build your own kingdom instead of his kingdom. And see, that's what really happened. We read about how in Luke 22, verse 3, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being the number of the twelve. Because Judas never examined his heart. Judas was sitting at the very feast that God asked us of us to make sure that we have looked and examined and seen are our hearts pure. Judas never asked the question, Am I actually here for the right reason? Am I actually dining with the greatest man who ever lived? The one who is God? Why am I here? He never asked the question. He never examined. He never saw what what am I really doing here? Because then he would have realized that I am actually here for my own exaltation because I like to hang out with this guy who's really cool. No. He understood. He never did that. He never realized the wickedness of his heart. And therefore, Satan could take advantage of what was already prepped for Satan. And that is a heart that is ready to deceive and betray Yeshua. And so through this, we see that Judas was simply keeping the feast of unleavened bread and Passover and all this physically. He was there. He was doing all the motions, but he wasn't doing so spiritually. He wasn't doing what is most important. That is to assess what is going on in his heart. And that is what the physical things are all about. It's, a, it's supposed to point you to look into your own heart. And if it doesn't do that, you're, you, you might as well have never kept any of the feast at all because the feasts are all there to make sure that you are ensuring that you are spiritually mature you're spiritually clean and your heart is right before god the physical observances are simply there to make sure that you do what is necessary inside so i encourage you to go and don't make this year just another year just another passover just another passover seder meal just another unleavened bread take out the bread okay cool thing no This has to be different. This has to be changed. This has to mean salvation and freedom in your life. This has to mean that sin has to stop. This has to mean that you get on your knees before your wife and you ask for forgiveness. This has to mean that there is reconciliation in relationships. This has to mean that you pick up the phone and ask for forgiveness. This has to mean that things change. And if none of this stuff is happening where it's necessary, you might as well leave the physical observation because you never truly kept the feast and you will not fool God. Because just like Judas didn't fool Yeshua, you can dine with him. But you will not fool Yeshua if you're only there for the physical motions, but never do it all in your heart either. Because it must happen in your heart. It must take place in your heart. Because if it's not taking place in your heart, you're deceiving yourself. But you're never going to deceive God. And next up, what Yeshua did 
as he did what we call communion with his disciples at this Passover meal. We read in Luke 22 verse 19. And taking bread, giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Brothers and sisters, what we call communion, where the breaking of the, the bread which we eat, and that is Yeshua's body, and the drinking of the wine which is his, symbolizes his blood, his blood that was shed, his body that was broken. This was all, I would like to remind you that this was all done at Passover, at the Passover meal, that Yeshua himself was doing this with them. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And what he really means is, when you keep the Passover, do this in remembrance of me. Yes, you do it in remembrance of God delivering your forefathers out of Egypt before. If that never happened, you wouldn't be here. But you also now, he says, now I'm adding, I'm filling this up. I'm bringing more meaning for this for you. And he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread, break it and eat it. Take the wine, drink it. And remember that I broke my body and spilt my blood for you. See, oftentimes we come into the motions of celebrating Passover, or keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But this instruction passes away where we don't do communion anymore. And that is actually quite ridiculous because we're supposed, this is actually one of the things that our Messiah himself said we are to do at this feast. Yet it is one of the things that are often forgotten in the midst of all the other traditions and celebratory things and rituals. And I don't know what else we want to do. We forget one of the most important things that he told us to do. Do this in remembrance of him, the one who actually died for us. And so I want to now on that ask you, what kind of bread was being broken? Was it leaven or unleavened bread? Of course, in the midst of this, Yeshua would have been breaking the unleavened bread. Not the leavened bread that we so often see being used as communion, of course. You see, Yeshua had to keep this festival, this and like this meal to the T with the Father's commandments and instructions because he was a perfect sacrifice, right? He had no sin. And for him to have no sin means he has to follow God's commandments to the T on how to celebrate this festival. And so he did. He followed the Exodus. He said in Exodus 12, verse 19, God said, For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses, and if anyone eats it, that being is cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether sojourner or native of the land. And it's interesting because this idea of if you do in fact trample on this commandment, you don't take it notice of it, and you do it anyway, you eat leaven, God says you need to put that person out of Israel. You need to basically put them out of your midst. It's like a, it's kind of like a judgment on them, a form of judgment on them. And that is actually mentioned multiple times within the Exodus account here. We see it in, in verse 15. We see it in verse 19 as well. 
And this just shows how serious God is. When God repeats himself, it's serious. He's making a point. He's saying this keeping of it, this removing of the leaven, this physical observance that is also supposed to be spiritual in your heart is really important. And that's why Yeshua had to keep it. And like I mentioned earlier, Yeshua had no sin. He was without sin. He was unleavened. And really, when we do eat leaven, when we don't remove the leaven from our home, when we don't cleanse our hearts from sin, what we are truly doing, and brothers and sisters, listen to me, this is important. What we are truly doing is we're trampling underfoot the sacrifice of Yeshua. If we don't do this introspection like we like Judas, he never did it. He never truly kept his feast. He never did it. We will trample on the foot Yeshua. And this is why Paul actually stresses communion to be amongst believers. Paul says, if you want to keep communion, you need to stop doing so casually. You need to do it with a on a serious note, the way that Messiah did it at the Passover meal. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the master until he comes. So that whoever should eat this bread or drink this cup of the master unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the master. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For the one who is eating and drinking unworthily eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the master. Because of this, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we were to examine ourselves, we would not be judged. Paul is saying that if you partake in the body and blood of the Messiah through communion, which like he did at the Passover of his disciples, if you do that, you need to make sure that your heart is right and examined. Because if you put, do this thing for a show, you're trampling his body underfoot. Because what you're doing is you're saying, with my sin, I put him on the cross. I will continue sinning while I put him on the cross. That's what you do if you haven't examined yourself. It's like Judas. He was at that table having known that he made a deal with the enemies of his master, with God, with the enemies of God. He made a deal, sitting at the table, partaking in the master's body, partaking in the master's blood, knowing that he had sin in his heart, unexamined. And that's why he was judged. And what happened to Judas? He died. He did exactly what Paul said would happen if we drink and partake in his body unworthily. He says, because of this, many of you are sick. And many of you, he says, even are asleep. That means death. He says people are dying because they're doing communion unworthily. Because they're doing communion while they have sin in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, this is not a joke. And this is why God actually even says in the Torah that you are not to let a stranger do the Passover because it is so incredibly serious. He says in Exodus 12 verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall be no stranger that eats thereof. 
And so I ask of you today, do not partake in Passover if you have not gone to examine yourself. Do not partake in the Lord's body in communion this Passover, which you ought to do. But don't do it if you have not examined yourself. If you don't want to get rid of your sin, rather don't keep this feast. Because you might die in the process of trying to fool people around you, thinking that you can fool God. Brothers and sisters, this is a hard word. But we need to understand that the sin of Judas is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with having a religious outward appearance while denying that our hearts are wicked. And even in that moment, still being content with putting our Messiah on the cross for us. Because that's what we do spiritually when we do communion while living in our sin. God calls us to take this Passover more seriously than the previous ones in our lives. He calls a bride today that is, and he's saying, this is going to be different this year. This year, you will really do in your heart what you say you do on the outside. You will do in your heart what you've been doing with your hands. The physical observation, brothers and sisters, is not enough. It's time to have a change of heart and time to have the true new covenant work inside of you where he gives you a new heart. None of this is possible without that Holy Spirit that comes to indwell in you. And if you feel like you don't know how to do this, it's time to lift up your arms and say, Father, help. Help me walk more like you. And brothers and sisters, I'm not talking, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about because we're all have, we all have problems. We all make mistakes. We all have issues. We all have. But the point is, have you come to the Father and said, Father, examine me, show me my sin and repent it thereof. You see, the difference between Peter and Judas at the Last Supper wasn't that they were the one was a perfect man and while the other was not. The one's heart was wicked and full of Satan, while the other's heart was sacrificed unto Father. And that's why Yeshua with joy, went to the cross. But see, he went to the cross not only with joy for Peter, he went to the cross with joy for even the wicked hearts of this world, with hope that they would repent to walk like him. So if you feel like you've got a wicked heart, it's okay. You're in good company. That's why he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Even if we are the one who put him on that cross through our sin, He now says, it is fine. It is okay. And communion really is that communion. When we do communion, it's crazy to even think that Yeshua would tell us to do communion because communion is basically, again, taking the elements of what he did on the cross when his body was broken and his blood was shed and really, again, partaking in that and really, again, saying, Father, thank you for your sacrifice that cleanses me. Thank you that you have died for me. Father, cleanse me of my sins. Cleanse me with your body and blood. But see, when we come and we pray that prayer, we have to do so with a true heart of repentance and examination. Not a heart that is with a heart of pretense or a heart that simply desires appearances. 
That is what God calls this Passover for you. Thank you for sticking through with this teaching. If this has blessed you, please share it with a friend so they may understand the depth and the seriousness of keeping Passover. It's not just another feast. It's not just another celebration. It is a matter of life and death physically and spiritually. And God today tells you, I give you life and I give you death. Please choose life so things may go well with you and your family. God bless you and keep you. Shall his face upon you, lift up his counsel upon you, give you strength and shalom. And this pass around feast of unleavened bread. And may your house be found clean of leaven, so that the death angel may pass over your home and the Holy Spirit indwell it all.